As you're turning with me to Matthew chapter 7, I don't know if, uh, if you are like me, but there are a lot of people that do not like to fly. Some people are somewhat repulsed by the idea of flying hundreds of miles an hour in metal, you know, 30,000 feet in the air. So some people have a fear of flying just because the natural proclivity metal has to react to gravity. Other people don't like being enclosed in close proximity with a bunch of strangers. I don't really care for flying, not for either one of those reasons, but because I don't like the stress of going from my house to finally boarding the plane. You know, when, I, when I'm getting ready to leave the house, I'm like, do I have my license? I have to look at it like 10 times, like, okay, I know I have my wallet, do I have my license, do I have my passport? Did I remember all of the things that I needed? And I get to the airport and I'm, you know, looking at my boarding pass and I'm like, is today May 21st? It says May, so I'm looking at my phone. Okay, May 2-1. Okay, no, it's May, I'm like, Google it. What's the date today? May 21st. Okay, a.m. or p.m. So I look outside, it's like, the sun is up, it's 10 a.m. Okay, so it's 10 a.m., like, making sure that every last thing is right. And you kind of, like, nudge the guy at the, at the waiting gate, you know, it's like, where are you headed? It's like, Denver. It's like, are you? Like, final stop, or, like, is that just a layover? Because I'm also, go like, you know, just, like, I really want to make sure that everything's right. And it stresses me out, like, having that time of all of those different things having to line up to actually get on the plane and go where I'm supposed to go. Ultimately, I want to know, is this gate, the gate that I'm sitting at, going to where my destination is? Am I at the right place to go where I want to go? The destination is almost always the goal when it comes to flying. Not very many people take commercial flights back and forth just for the fun of it. Most of the time, we want to go somewhere. And that starts with getting to the airport, getting to the gate, and waiting to board the plane. Now, in the same way, our eternal destination is determined by the gate we enter, whether narrow or wide. And that's what we're going to see today in this passage in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 13, Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few will find it. So Jesus presents us here with a narrow gate a narrow road that leads to life. And there's a broad gate, a wide road that leads to destruction. The narrow gate, it's hard to find, it's a difficult road to walk, and few people can do it. By contrast, the broad gate, the wide gate, the wide road, it's popular. Everybody else is walking down the wide gate. It's easy to find, and that's where most people go through. And in the same way, when you're at the terminal and you're sitting at the gate, the plane pulls up. The gate that you're at 
the plane that pulls up, the flight plan that they've filed, all is going to a predetermined destination. The pilot doesn't pull up and say, where do we want to go today, people? The pilot knows where that plane's heading, and it starts at the gate you're sitting at. Our spiritual life starts at the gate. The gate we enter determines our spiritual destination. So as we examine our lives, please fasten your spiritual seatbelts and place your heart and your mind in its upright and locked position and stow away any distractions in the seat in front of you and ask yourselves these questions. First, where do I want to go eternally? And second, am I at the right gate to get there? Where do I want to go eternally? And am I at the right gate to get there? Let's pray. Lord, we ask as we consider your word to us, Lord, that you would illuminate your scripture, your very word to us, Lord. May it be sharper than a sword. May it divide our hearts. May we be able to see you cutting out our pride, our selfish desires. Lord, may we be left with a heart that follows you, a mind that follows you, desires that align with your desires. Lord, we ask that we would be men and women, children that seek to follow you, that you would make straight our paths, that you would illuminate the gate. Lord, help us to walk in obedience to you, knowing that You've given us clear directions on what we ought to do, how we ought to be living. Lord, may we follow those instructions that you've given us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So enter through the narrow gate. The gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. And how narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and yet few will find it. So you've walked through a gate before. Certainly, we've all walked through gates. The gates lead somewhere, right? There's never a gate that just is a gate, and then it's the same as it was on the other side. A gate stops something, and it allows people to go through, to come and to go. But most gates identify what's on the other side or where you're going. I mean, imagine going to an airport terminal and you walk into the terminal, and it just says, gate. And then you look, and there's another one that says, gate. No numbers, no letters, no gate seven, no terminal A. You just walk in, and there's just gate. So you look at your boarding pass, and your boarding pass says, gate. We would be confused because the gate tells us what the destination is. Gate 7B is going to Orlando. Gate 7A is going to Phoenix. You need to know where the gate is going, and that helps you know what the gate is for. So the narrow gate, Jesus says, is hard to find, and it's difficult to get there. But the wide gate, the broad road, is easy to get. It's easy to go through that. So why does this choice matter? Why does Jesus say, enter through one of them and not the other? I have a friend who loves flying first class. In fact, he's on a business trip now, 
and he loves the leg room and the waiting lounges and the better food and all the things that first class comes with. But if given the choice between a first class flight that was guaranteed to crash and flying on a budget airline like Frontier, if you've ever flown on Frontier, there's a big difference between the destination, the first class plane that's going to crash, and the budget airline that's guaranteed to get there now become two very different flights. Flying first class and not knowing what's going to happen, the wide road that leads to destruction may have perks, but they're temporary perks. The flight that is guaranteed to land safely may be difficult, but it's also guaranteed to land safely. So Jesus here offers the narrow gate and the wide gate. The narrow gate is safe, but it's a difficult road. The wide gate is easy and it's popular. Let's look first at the wide gate, which is the road most traveled. And by most accounts, this is life's default gate. Do nothing and you're in the broad and wide gate. If you remember the movie Finding Nemo, Dory says, just keep swimming, and that's the broad gate. You just keep going. Don't look around, don't ask questions. You know, where does this gate lead? What did that sign say? You know, don't, don't look at the signs, don't ask questions, don't worry about that other path that you see, don't worry about that narrow gate. Just keep going down the broad path. And I think this is often a tool of Satan to say, just keep swimming. Just go along with the crowd. Follow what everybody is doing, and you'll be just like everybody. And often we want to be like everybody. So if we can have this plan of everybody going in the same direction, it feels safe sometimes. But Jesus says the broad road ultimately leads to destruction. So to determine if you are on the broad road that leads to destruction or the narrow road that leads to life, I want to give you some self-examination opportunities here. We're going to look at a couple verses. First, Ephesians 4, and examine your own life. Paul says, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Those are unbelievers in God. In the futility of their thoughts, they are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. So Paul's saying you should no longer walk as the unbelievers do. You should not live a life that the unbelieving people are living. So has there been a change in your life? Is it obvious that you no longer walk as the Gentiles do? The evidence here of someone walking on the broad road and the narrow road is the lifestyle. Is your lifestyle similar or different to the people that are walking on the broad road? The broad road, Paul says, is excluded from the life of God. The broad road Walking as the Gentiles do is excluded from the life of God. Leviticus 18 says, Speak to the Israelites and tell them, I am the Lord your God. Do not follow the practices 
of the land of Egypt where you used to live. So God is telling his people, you've been among these people. They walk on the broad road, but you should not be like those people. You should not follow the practices of the people of the land. Those people in that day would have made idols. They would have carved and cut and smelted idols to have something physical to worship. So taking that idea and saying, don't follow the practices of the land, we don't often encounter people who have literal idols, but we do have idols. For a lot of people, it's materialism. I got to get what's mine. I'm willing to work overtime. I can see my kids next year. I got to keep acquiring. What I have is more important. Got to get more money so I can get more things so I can keep having more. Following the practices of the land would certainly be ignoring what God is very clear about. That God values life when it begins in the womb. Following the practices of the land go completely counter to that. Neglecting the poor, disrespecting those in authority, immoral living. You know, I can do whatever I want as long as it doesn't hurt someone else. You know, we can kind of look at the culture and the society in which we live and say, if this is the broad road, how does my life compare to these things? Am I following the practices of the land? Third one, Peter says, for there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do. And here's his list. They're carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. And they are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living. And they slander you. I mean, that's the broad road on display, right? If you knew somebody who was doing all of those things, you would look and say, that's a heathen, a word I don't even really use, but I know it when I see it. And that is the broad road. And then the broad road, Peter says, they're surprised that you don't want to take part in it. And so they look at you on the narrow road and they say, look at that guy. And they slander you for being different than them. Are people looking at your life and recognizing that there's a difference? Coworkers, friends, family members, your neighbors, do they look at you and know that your life is different? There's already been enough time spent in doing what the unbelievers do, Peter says. He gives them that list and says, and they slander you because your life does not match their life. But now if your life does match their life, then self-examination is needed because they're definitely living on the broad road, going through the wide gate, and they're living in unrestrained behavior. And then the fourth one here, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, says, Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, 
no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. See, the narrow road is for those who have been washed and sanctified and justified by God. The broad road has none of that. The broad road is self-indulgent. The broad road does whatever makes me happy. And the broad road, Paul says, is deceived. He warns the people that are walking on the narrow road, don't be deceived that God's commands are not what they're doing. And often the broad road is self-deceived. The broad road deceives themselves into thinking what I'm doing is okay. And self-deception is often the most dangerous of all types of deception. You know, pride is probably the greatest type of self-deception. Pride looks at the narrow road and it tells people about the narrow road and about what you have to do to be on the narrow road. It tells people to walk through the narrow gate, but doesn't think that the narrow gate's actually for me. I don't need to go through the narrow gate because I'm good. I'm good enough on my own. Obadiah says, Your arrogant heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your home on the heights, and you who say to yourself, Who can bring me down to the ground? Though you seem to soar like an eagle and make your nest among the stars, even from there I will bring you down. This is the Lord's declaration. You know, they live up in the hills. They physically and literally look down on people. Metaphorically, they look down their nose at the other people. And God says, you can't hide. You can't hide from God. Pride doesn't turn us away from God in the way that most sins do. You know, most sins, we, we have God here saying, don't do these things, instead do these things. And we look and we say, but I love my sin more than I love God's command. I love my lust, my gluttony, my pride. I love all of these things more than I love God. But the difference between pride and all of those other sins is that pride doesn't say, I love these sins more than I love God. Pride says I love myself more than I love God. I care more about me than I do about God. Pride lifts us up and tries to put God down. Pride is self-deceptive and it says, you are good enough on your own. Pride sees the narrow gate but thinks that the narrow gate is for others. In addition to pride, there's also the idea of rationalization when it comes to the narrow gate. You know, people want to get close to the narrow gate. They want to do the narrow gate things. They want to admire the gate. That's good structural steel you have there. What is that? Three-quarter inch steel? And look at the footings they poured for the gate. You know, is that powder-coated? Look at the ornate decorations. It's a beautiful gate. But they don't want to enter the gate. They just want to rationalize that 
I don't need to actually enter the gate if I'm doing all of the narrow gate type of things. And I can be a good person, I can come to church, I can do things that are good things, but I don't have to humble myself, I don't have to enter through the gate, I can just admire it. But admiring the gate is no substitute for entering the gate. Admiring the gate is not what Jesus calls us to do in this passage. Acting like a Christian is not actually being a Christian. There's a difference between the action and the submitted heart that believes and has faith. Saying someone follows Jesus is not a substitute for actually following what Jesus says. So we can deceive ourselves by pride, by rationalizing, and we can also deceive ourselves through the idea of false security. That everybody is going along the broad road. It's like cattle going down a ramp to a slaughterhouse. Why don't they fight back? Why don't they, you know, 3,000-pound animal turn and just kick the 150-pound guy? It's a question I wanted to know, so I turned to the internet. Why don't cattle fight back? I found the answer, a guy named Tom. He didn't even have a last name, so I'm just assuming he's an expert, but his name was Tom. Tom said this, It's an unfamiliar situation for which their instincts have not given them any framework or trigger. It was probably at that point that I thought, he's an expert. That sounds expert-like. He says, So they, the cows, are anxious, but they can't identify anything as a target to fight back against. Also, they're domestic animals, unaccustomed to having to deal with predators or enemies. And I thought, isn't that the broad road too? That the people all walk together and there's other people going with me, so it must be okay. If we're all going to the same place together, our herd mentality tells us it must be okay. And cows are prey animals. They're not predators. And so, well, if some of us die... It probably won't be me. I might be safe as long as I stay with the crowd. And I also think that Satan has domesticated the world. That we don't, we don't like to buck what everybody else is doing. You know, that stands out and people don't usually want to stand out. They want to blend in. They want to just walk down the road. There's safety in numbers. You know, you, you get to the airport. I was at LAX a couple years ago, and you know, there's like a thousand TSA lines, and you're going through security, and then you start walking, and then people start going to different terminals. Nobody just follows the crowd hoping that you end up at your own gate. Right? They're going to different places, so you have to know where your gate is. At LAX, I had to find my gate and then sit down and wait for a bus to come and the bus drove across the tarmac, like waited at a stop sign for a plane to pass and then drove to a terminal that was like a building out in the middle of the tarmac. I'd never seen that before. I never would have found the gate if I was just following the herd down the broad road. And you might have heard something like, all roads lead to heaven, right? All gates take us to the same place. But what Jesus is saying here is enter through the narrow gate. 
I think saying that that Jesus is a little narrow-minded is probably an understatement. Not as an insult, but Jesus offers one way. There's one mediator between God and man. There's one way to God the Father. There's one truth. There's one life. There's one gate. It is narrow. There's no way around it being narrow. So I think as we think of the broad road, who else is on the broad road? Who are your traveling companions? If you look left and you look right, and it's all the same lifestyle, if it's the same actions, if it's the same heart, if it's the same selfish pride, there's probably a good chance that you are on the broad road. Listen to what John Phillips said. He said, speaking of the broad road, gifted men and great are on this road. It's easy to look at worldly wisdom and eloquent speech and intelligence and say, I'll go where the smart people go. And gifted men and great are on this road. The broad road has a big sign above it that said, this road leads to destruction. But if you just keep your head down and walk with everybody else, it's easy to miss the signs. Enter through the narrow gate. Verse 14, how narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. The narrow gate is the road less traveled. In these two verses, Jesus gives one command, one single word of command. And then he describes the gates, the people, the roads, and he describes all of it. But the only thing that Jesus says to do is the first word, enter through the narrow gate. Enter through the narrow gate is the only thing he says to do. There's two gates, and Jesus says to enter through one of them. Two choices, which if you look through Scripture, there's often two choices. Going back to Adam and Eve, they could eat the fruit of the sin, or they could enjoy the perfection that God had created for them. The narrow road or the broad road. Noah could take the blueprint of the ark God gave him and unroll it and look at it, and Noah could either choose to build the ark and risk embarrassment, or Noah could just roll it up and walk away and take the broad road. If you think of Ruth, Ruth could stay with her people. She could take the easy road. Or Ruth could walk the hard road and go with Naomi. And I think when we think of hard roads to walk. I think more often than not, that's what God calls us to do. Easy roads and hard roads, the wide roads are easy. It's what everybody does. But Jesus calls us to a narrow road. It's difficult. It's hard to walk. But more often than not, it's what we're called to do as Christians. We're going to look at Elijah. And Elijah stood on Mount Carmel and stood between 
the fire of God and the ashes of Baal to choose God or choose the idolatry. Esther could risk her royal life in the palace and just watch a silent genocide happen of her people or she could speak up on the narrow road. The rich young ruler was given the option to choose worldly wealth or follow Jesus and have eternal wealth. Zacchaeus was climbing the early A.D.'s corporate ladder, striving for more and more and more money. Jesus' call to Zacchaeus was to descend from the ladder and make amends with the people. Pilate stood before Jesus, wielding the gavel of justice and choosing to wash his hands in the basin of sin. Always two choices. At the end of 2 Timothy, it says, Demas, who was once a faithful man of the good news, has deserted Paul, standing at the gates, the narrow gate and the wide gate. And he's deserted Paul because he loved this present world. There's always a choice to choose the narrow road that will be difficult or to choose the broad road, which is easy to find. Are you walking the difficult road? Is it actually difficult? Has your life become increasingly difficult as you've become a Christian? The narrow road is defined by difficulty. If your life has never been difficult, you might not be on the narrow road. And if you knew the narrow gate would bring hardship, if you knew that it would bring persecution, if you knew it would bring difficulty, would you choose it? Because we all stand before the narrow gate and the broad gate. We stand before a difficult life that Christ calls us to. And we stand before an easy life. It's like a funnel. The broad road, the wide road starts wide and it ends in destruction. And the narrow gate is like an upside down funnel. It's narrow, it's hard to get into, but it opens to eternity. The narrow gate is full of turbulence. The narrow gate always has the fasten your seatbelt sign on. But the narrow gate's pilot is much better than the pilot of the broad gate. There's no cancellations, there's no delays, there's no flight problems, there's never an engine problem. The pilot wrote the manual himself. Listen to what G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton said. He said, The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult. 
and left untried. It's not that being a Christian has not been tried and found that it lacked something. He says that it has been found difficult and not even tried. That people look at what it means to walk the narrow road, what they might give up. And they say, what I have to give up is not worth the eternity that I might gain. It's not that it's been found wanting, it's been not even tried. So to enter through the narrow gate, the narrow gate is the only way to salvation. It is difficult and it requires humility. The very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, verse 3 in Matthew, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who are recognizing that they are spiritually bankrupt, that they have no ability to pay for their eternity, that what Christ demands of them is not something they have the ability to offer. You have to be humble in order to walk through the narrow gate. It's like getting to the TSA agent and he says, this is a no pride airport. You have to leave all of your pride, not even one ounce. You can't bring any ounces of pride. You have to leave it all before you can enter through the narrow gate. Often humility means I've tried everything myself. I've done everything I can. I keep crashing the plane and surrendering your life to Jesus. He doesn't need you as a co-pilot. He doesn't need your advice. He's given you his word and you say, I'll do it. Humbly. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. There's no room for pride, but there is peace in humility. There's peace in saying, I don't have to keep flying the plane. I can just sit back and relax and recline my, my seat and just let Jesus control it. I'll do what he says, and then I can let go. I don't have to worry about that. Humbling is the boarding pass that gets you into the narrow gate. Now, if you feel like, you know, the broad gate is what everybody's doing, it's the lifestyle that you're living, the narrow gate is something that is unfamiliar, listen to John Phillips one more time. The broad road intersects the narrow road at just one place. Calvary. At the cross, one can leave the broad road, accept Christ as Savior, and start along the narrow way. Calvary is where Jesus was crucified, where Jesus chose to allow himself to be killed as a payment for your sins. The broad road and the narrow road they're close enough together that if you're on the broad road, you don't have to stay on the broad road. Why does the road, why does the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction? If you're on and living on the broad road, Jesus offers a bridge from the cross, from the broad road to the narrow road. 
And the cross is humility. That we say, I can't do it on my own. I have to have somebody, Jesus, to get me from where I am to where I want to go. That requires humility. It requires you to say, I've tried it, I've done it, I'm not capable, but I want to live a life that honors God, that is for God, and Jesus is the only way to the narrow road. Now, if that's something that you want to do, if you have questions, if you want to pray with somebody, at the end of the service, we're going to have prayer partners. I'll be here. We'll have prayer partners. Fill out your communication card. Come and talk to someone. We want to pray with you. We want to be a resource and say, this is what it means to walk the narrow road. This is what it means to lead your family down the narrow road. So if you have your communication card, it's in your bulletin, you can drop it in the back. You can give it to the people right outside the door at the Welcome Center. I'm going to invite the band back up and I'm going to pray for us. Lord, as we consider the narrow road and the broad road, Lord, may everyone who hears your word know with full assurance that they walk on the narrow road. Lord, I pray that those who are unsure of where their road is leading would would take time to examine themselves, to see if their life, to see if there's faith, to see if there's a belief in you and a trust in you. And Lord, if we are people who walk the narrow road, may we see those on the broad road and have pity on them to share the good news that there is a better way, that there is a hope, that there is a road that leads to life. And that's only in your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.